Hey guys, welcome back to the show. This is Tanmay. This is Harsh. How's your week going, Harsh? Pretty good? It's pretty great. Nothing, nothing too crazy going on? No. We had a fun trip, right? We talked last episode about going to Leavenworth. Yeah, that we a, made that, that a happen. Great time. Yeah. That was a great time. It was a beautiful drive, very foggy drive through yeah. the mountains. We, we got to, I think we got there around 11 o'clock. Um, and then we stood, we were there for the whole day, I think. We ate a lot of food, uh, did a lot of a lot of very Christmassy holiday things. It was a great time. Drank some good beer there as well. Yeah, yeah, it's a great time. Oh, dude, I'm very excited for this guest. This is going to be a great episode. Yes, tonight's guest, I read about him a little bit before coming to this meeting, and man, he's, he's really impressive. Yeah, yeah, I'm super excited. So today on the show, we have Brian Plesnarski. Um, he is a technical product manager at Amazon Web Services Ground Station. So we'll, we'll uh, let him do the introduction and give a bit of a background on, on what he does and how he got to start. But thanks so much for coming on the show, Brian. How are you doing? Hey, guys. I'm doing well. Uh, thanks for having me on the show and uh, appreciate the introduction. Yeah. Um, looking forward to having this conversation. Yes, Absolutely. So uh, why don't you just start by giving a bit of background on yourself and kind of how you got your start, um, what got you interested in the work you do right now, what your kind of background is. Yeah, so, um, yeah, great question. Um, so I've been in the ground station, earth observation, remote sensing business for about 10 years now, a little bit over 10 years. And earlier this year in, uh, in April, I joined the AWS ground station team as the technical pro, uh, product manager. And um, prior to that, I worked for about nine, almost 10 years with a company by the name of Biasat. I was based out of Atlanta, Georgia. And that's kind of where I got my start in, uh, in the satellite industry um, and grew to love the, the opportunities that the satellite industry brings and uh, along with the challenges and the rewards too. Um, so it really goes kind of all the way back to, uh, to high school and college days. Um, coming out of high school, I wanted to to follow my my older brothers to uh, to college. You know, I was always looking up to my older brothers at that time, as any younger brother would, right? Um, yeah. And and wanted to uh, to follow them to the same college they went to. They they uh, both my older brothers attended Auburn University in Auburn, Alabama. Um, so as I was coming out of um, high school, in high school I was you know I was mostly just into sports. Um, I played tons of soccer and football. And, uh, that's where I spent most of all my free time, but academically I was, I was really strong in both math and science. And so, uh, credit to my older brother, he, um, he really pushed me to, um, to look into going into a engineering career or at least getting an engineering degree. He always felt that with an engineering degree, a strong technical degree, you could, effectively always have uh, job security and find a good solid place to work um, through the rest of your career, no matter where you ended up. Yeah. So, so what did you study and, in, in college then? Yeah. So uh, it just turned, it, again, it just turned out that, um, you know, luck was on my side and Auburn was opening up a new curriculum at the time by the name of wireless engineering. And this was all being set up by a, uh, an Auburn alumnus by the name of Samuel Ginn. And Samuel Ginn, as if you're familiar with the wireless industry, he actually had a very strong and impressive career 
as a CEO and uh, and other leadership positions, um, but CEO of Vodafone. Um, wow. And at, at the time, coming out of universities around the world, that people with electrical engineering degrees or computer science degrees did not really understand RF technology or wireless communication very well. So he wanted to create a wireless curriculum because he knew the wireless industry was on the verge of exploding. And there's gonna be so many other applications or market segments that would emerge out of these types of technologies. Um, and so he, he donated a large sum of money to Auburn University to get this wireless curriculum started. And I believe it was the, um, the first wireless um, college in, in the United States. Um, and then after that, several other colleges actually kind of joined the joined the uh, the show and brought in their wireless curriculums into their engineering colleges. Um, so it's really, I was really lucky and fortunate to have the right timing, but also you know have um, great mentorship and guidance from my older brother. So can't thank him enough for Absolutely. that. Absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah, and now flash but, forward after your college years, and now here you are working in the industry for um, many, many years, as you mentioned earlier. So, so right now you are a, a technical product manager at uh, at AWS Ground Station, as I mentioned earlier. And so, AWS, for our listeners that don't know, is Amazon Web Services, which is one of the biggest cloud providers in the world. And so, Ground Station is a new service that I believe was just released in May of this year, right, Brian? Yeah, that's correct. We, we went GA in May. So can you kind of just describe what, uh, what this new service does and, and how you got involved on this team? It seems pretty exciting that this is a brand new service. And, you know, we hear every day that there's major, major races happening in the cloud industry. I mean, just last week we, or a few weeks ago, we heard about the Jedi contract, um, the big battle between, between uh, Microsoft and Amazon. And, and, you know, every day we hear about different uh, industries that are being disrupted with, with cloud providers. So um, can you just speak a bit on, you know, what Ground Station does and, and how you got involved? Yeah, so Ground Station is um, a service that AWS recent, recently launched and made available um, commercially. We, we install antenna systems very near to AWS data centers or in the AWS lingo, we call them regions around the world. And this allows us to um, connect space workloads to the global AWS infrastructure and the plethora, the large library of AWS services that are available commercially today. So users are able to connect to their satellites in real time at multiple locations around the world um, and bring that data very low latency down into the cloud and then start computing that data immediately, processing that data for either storage or downstream services like machine learning or artificial intelligence to pre produce some really cool information or intelligence from that data that people here on earth can actually use to make an impact and improve our lives here on earth. That's amazing. And I mean, we all know that Amazon has been the one who kind of paved the way in e-commerce in e and, you know, with, with things like, with sort of, I would think, foundational inventions like the internet um, or, or big national services like FedEx and UPS, um, you know, it's, it's often the case that people could argue that Amazon has been so successful because of foundational services like those. And 
And similarly, um, AWS, as you just mentioned, there are a plethora of services. There's, you know, there's 150 or so county um, services uh, for, for cloud computing. And so Amazon Web Services has been kind of the pioneer in that. And now it's the backbone for so many um, larger companies that are running their entire infrastructure on Amazon, whether that is Netflix or, um, you know, any other large provider. So in that sense, how do you think GroundStation um, plays a role in sort of paving the way for the next wave of innovation with satellites and with the space industry? Yeah, you know, um, the way I like to think about it too is um, we, we've always kind of had a fascination with space for as far as I can remember, you know, growing up watching Star Wars films or Star Trek. Um, those are always reasons why people are interested in, uh, you know, curious about what may lay beyond our planet. Um, you've, you've even seen it recently where there's kind of a billionaire boys club, so to speak, where if you're one of the, most wealthy businessman in the world and you don't own your own space company, then you're, kind of, <laughs> you know, you're kind of missing out a little bit. Right. I mean, Jeff Bezos has blue origin and Elon Musk has SpaceX and Sir Richard Branson has uh, Virgin Galactic and the list goes on and on beyond that. Um, but that's, you know, just some of the few high, um, headliners there. Um, so I think there's a lot of momentum picking up within the space industry uh, per se whether that's sending man back to the moon, which Blue Origin recently announced, or sending man to Mars, which SpaceX has, uh, has committed to um, over the last several years, or providing commercial space travel, um, which Virgin Galactic's trying to do with uh, commercial space flights, making those available for people to experience that different viewpoint from a much higher elevation than, uh, than what commercial air flight takes people to today. But with all of that fascination and all of that popularity that's building up, ground station is what ground station is really offering is the um, lowering the barrier to entry for people to come in and start finding ways to make a difference with data that's being collected in space and producing really cool um, products, services, or technologies here on earth. Um, making a difference with that data that's being collected in space today. So the, the economies of space have all changed significantly recently. We've seen a shift from very sophisticated, large satellite assets, whether they're in geosynchronous orbit or they're just large, very sophisticated LEO satellites that are able to do a lot of different things um, and are very powerful, but they're single assets and they represent kind of a risk either financially or um, could be a risk of being taken out by an adversary um, in, a, in a future space world or so to speak. Um, now the shift in satellites has gone to small sats or cube sats where people lower their economic um, risk associated with any given satellite and they're able to launch tens if not hundreds of satellites to collect a lot of data from a lot of different points all at once and bring that data that data down and now they have all these this huge data ingest engine that's coming in and and collecting data at a much faster rate than we ever have before similarly in the launch industry instead of sending a single rocket up with a single satellite or maybe two satellites on board now these launch services are launching dozens, if not hundreds of satellites at a time, 
Um, so launch services, there's been a, a economy of space in those ways. It's almost kind of like the Uber of space, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. So on the, on the ground side, the ground has always played a very, uh, you know, interesting role. The, the ground segment is the key to bringing your data from space down to your process and facilities and making products or services for your customers with, with that data that you bring down. But there hasn't been as much innovation on the ground side until recently when AWS committed to launch AWS Ground Station. And with AWS Ground Station, our hope is that we're going to enable the next innovative scientists or engineers or developers to come build the new cool apps and services with the data that they're able to collect um, using AWS Ground Station. Absolutely. Yeah. So what do you say to those, um, you know, maybe skeptics who are who are wondering what, what Amazon is doing in this space? It seems like every day Amazon tries to make a foray into a different industry, a different sector. And while each of those attempts has, has been primarily successful, um, you know, with with regards to the messaging or the the marketing behind Ground Station and this new direction that um, that AWS would like to take in the satellite and space industry, um, how do you how do you spread that message? How do you make sure that we can compete? Um, uh, you know, Amazon Web Services can compete with other major players like SpaceX, who are much more um, well known or who are more aligned directly with that industry. Yeah, you know. It- a uh, couple different things. One, um, I would say any detractors that are out there, there's for every detractor, there's 10 or 20 people that I hear from on a daily basis that are so excited for Amazon to enter this space, no pun intended, um, <laughs> so that they can build upon what they're already doing within cloud uh, infrastructure. And secondly, um, you know, Amazon has a really unique culture of, of building. I mean, we're a a company full of builders, we start off very small in whichever area we, we go in. We start off with what's called an MVP or a minimal viable product. And from there, we constantly obsess about the customer and build in new features and new capabilities to the product or service so that customers are continuing to be excited to build more and more and more with that given service. So I'm... Um, again, fortunate enough to be in the the right place at the right time. Um, I'm as a technical uh, product manager for AWS Ground Station. I'm actually in charge of that roadmap, that technical roadmap for our service. So I get to interact with customers, interact with developers on our team to figure out what new capabilities and features we're going to offer as part of our service going forward. Absolutely. That's exciting to hear. And speaking of being at the right place at the right time, it sounds like the small satellite market has sized at nearly 3 billion in 2017 and is expected to more than double in the next five to six years. From your knowledge of satellite communications in the space and aviation industries, what is driving this rapid growth? Like what, what trends do you see emerging? Well, there's a couple different trends. Um, like I said, the, the space economies have definitely driven us there, um, enabling us to have multiple assets that can collect data um, at different temporal locations around the world at a given time, bring that data back. There's small satellite companies out there that are developing 
model weather models that are better than some of the models that NOAA or ESA are generating um, today. There's other um, satellite companies out there that are able to map the world every single day with these small sats. And these small sats are only becoming more and more sophisticated themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so which uh, several years ago, they started off and they were um, more or less glorified science fair projects where people were launching space or shoe size, um, shoe box size satellites into orbit to collect data here and there and use some, uh, some pretty, um, pretty rudimentary antenna systems on the ground. Now these satellites are bringing down as uh, over a gigabit per second of data. And this data is being able to be ingested in real time into cloud services to compute that data, start the processing chain immediately, and then move that data anywhere in the world that you that a decision maker needs that data so that we can make changes, whether it's preventing, you know, any casualties due to natural disasters or severe weather or protecting fisheries from illegal fishing or just improving the overall uh, efficiency of our agricultural industry and making sure that farmers are um, planting at the right times and watering the fields in the right areas and using the right minerals and nutrients to enrich their crops and then harvesting at the right time as well. Um, people also use this data to protect against deforestation and pollution, um, whether that's pollution in the oceans and having plastics that are floating from rivers and collecting into massive um, islands in the ocean in different areas, or whether it's pollution in the air. There's actually sensors on these satellites that can um, collect data from sensing the atmosphere and understanding how, um, how much pollution is in a given area based on different measurements that the, the satellites are taking yeah so it seems like so it seems like the applications are are essentially limitless with this new sort of wave of satellites and small sats so i mean at the same time do you do you think there are any downsides to this this new wave of satellites and and the way they're being developed and used is there i mean it seems like from all the different use cases you described and all the different domains that you know this is this is where the industry is headed but at the same time are there any any um, overheads? Are there any obstacles that you foresee with this this new kind of um, development? Well, that's with any um, large growth that happens in a given area in a short period of time. You know, the, you're always going to have to deal with those growing pains that come along with it. Um, some of the growing pains have been well documented. Um, there's different uh, groups or companies that have announced plans to launch hundreds, if not thousands, of satellites in orbit. And once you combine a, several different constellations that are all putting up thousands of satellites at a time, then you start to wonder, well, how are we protecting these satellites from uh, having in-orbit uh, conflicts or you know, running into each other? Or if some satellites fail in orbit, how are you able to successfully deorbit those and get them out of the way of the operational and valuable satellites that are in orbit? Um, so making sure that we all are good um, neighbors within the environment that we're working in, make sure we all do the right thing, we follow the right processes and um, go through the right authorities to make sure we, we are uh, keeping 
keeping uh, or being good tenants of our space. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, as, as we move to colonize uh, outside of our home planet, if you will, it's, I think you're absolutely right. It's, it's, um, we don't want to repeat the mistakes that, that humankind has made in the, in the past many, many years. And, and as we kind of move towards the new frontier, um, you know, as you said, we want to be more cognizant of, of being very, um, being very careful with the way that we choose to move forward with the technology we use and the way we use it. Yeah, and as you like, as you mentioned, uh, potentially uh, doing some other things off our planet, it's going to be really exciting in the next five years. I mean, we're just about the end of 2019 here. Um, it's crazy to think that we're a month and a half away from 2020. Um, but in the early 2020s, maybe 2023 or 2024, or even 2025, it's likely that we're going to see people going back to the moon or people trying to go to Mars and doing stuff like that. It's going to be really interesting in these coming years, what we see. Yeah. So, so speaking of sort of a five-year outlook, um, kind of a, d- a different question, but do you, do you think that we can achieve, um, you know, something like worldwide internet connectivity? I mean, I know that um, companies like Facebook have have their own projects where um, they're working on using things like satellites with internet.org and different other um, projects to to accomplish this problem of of having the entire world connected to the internet. Um, so, I mean, what what are your what are your thoughts on that? A um, couple different thoughts. So, I've I've definitely worked with several companies that are also undertaking this uh, endeavor. Um, um, there's companies like O3B out there that are their sole mission. Um, I, I think now they're an SES company, but their sole mission was to provide internet connectivity to the other 3 billion people that were underserved in remote regions of the world. Um, they've, they've taken on some efforts. They've been uh, highly successful in what they've done with their MEO constellation, and they're actually launching uh, new MEO satellites here in the near future as well to continue their um, their mission. Um, there's companies like OneWeb who are OneWeb or LeoSat or or um, SpaceX, for instance, that are launching hundreds, if not thousands, of Leo broadband satellites that are going to orbit the Earth in a kind of organized fashion that provides kind of like a, a neural net of Leo satellites that provide satellite connectivity at any point on Earth. Um, anecdotally, I'll say this, um, I've been fortunate enough with my career, um, early in my career, I spent a lot of time as a, as a field engineer traveling around and being the lead technical individual on site for a, a remote ground station installation. Um, one of the places that took me was down to Antarctica. Now, I was down in Antarctica for several months, uh, one year over an Antarctic summer. That's awesome. And uh, even down there, we had connectivity to a satellite to backhaul data from there back to um, mainland um, or the rest of the world so that we could process that data and use, use that satellite imagery uh, for other uh, good purposes. Yeah, that's an exciting time. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I was a huge, a huge uh, space nut, or I was very, very intrigued by, by NASA and the Apollo missions and everything back when I was growing up. And I think as you, as we've kind of talked um, about the, the, the trends and the satellite communications industry, 
I think we're we're truly entering a new um, you know era for the space industry, and I think it's going to be super exciting, as you mentioned, to see how how things unfold over the next five to ten years, and see how how much more we can do with the knowledge and the data we've already captured up to this point, and see how um, you know how we can apply that for different scenarios and for for bettering a lot of the grand challenges that are that are pressing um, on on the planet right now. Yeah, and, and kind of to segue things back to Ground Station, what do you think is the next big challenge you're looking to tackle at Ground Station? Yeah, so as we continue to build out our initial uh, global network, um, one of the big challenges we're looking at is how do we scale from here? So we're able to, you know, install these antenna systems at or very near AWS data centers. Um, what's the next step from there? We're, we're not going to be able to put uh, hundreds of antennas at each one of these data centers. Mm -hmm. There's just, we'll have certain constraints that we're dealing with there. Um, how do we scale from there? So we're, so some of the, the next big challenges that we're undertaking, um, especially as a product team that I'm leading is we're, we're looking to see what types of technologies are available that allow us to scale and be flexible to the various types of missions out there. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, continue to focus on our customer needs and making sure we're obsessing over them and adding extremely rich features and capabilities to the service on a regular basis that, um, that you know, makes our customers happy and makes them want to keep on using our service. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And so, as you mentioned, um, with with this 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 rapid rate of development and how quickly your team is growing, obviously that's a call for more talent, a call for um, more people with the expertise and the willingness to to you know really dive deep into these these big problems. And so, with, so with that, um, you know, we we were kind of looking um, before the show at kind of you know what's out there, what's been done thus far, and and one of the things we found is that NASA. Um, back in 2016, uh, gave out more than uh, more than eight million dollars actually um, to a team of to about 50 teams of undergraduate students um, to conduct different projects for hands-on flight research and for satellite communications. So, um, you know, what what's your message to to aspiring students and to aspiring um, young people who have an interest in this field and and maybe even not an interest, but just more so the right skill set. You know, what what what's the kind of messaging that you would give them to to bring them on board um, to not only your team but to this this new wave in general and get them excited about about the next um, the next wave of innovation. Yeah, I think the key word that you said there within what NASA has donated. Um, the amount of money is not necessarily important, but the ability for people of various ages, whether they're undergraduate students, they're high school students, or they're postgraduate students that are able to get hands-on uh, research and training or activity done. The thing that I really resonated with personally, the reason why I was, I've been lucky within the different roles that I've held throughout my career is early in my career, I was building these ground stations with my hands. So I really got to understand them from soup to nuts, the entire system design. I understood them so well that my next role, after I left being a field engineer, I became a system engineer that was designing these systems. Um, so getting that hands-on experience, learning you know, how to build things with your hands, seeing how things come together, watching other people that are incredibly talented build things 
those are all great opportunities. And I highly recommend that to anyone that's interested in getting into the space community. Yeah. The cool thing about the space community too, is it's still small, so to speak. I mean, it's, it's been joked about for many years within, uh, within our small earth observation and remote sensing community that we're very, um, we're a very small knit community. So you can't have, you know, you got to make sure that you, you stay close together, you help everyone out and don't feel like don't ever come into this community and feel like you need to know everything because there's so many people within this uh, space community that want to teach others as well. And the best thing to do is just come in with a great attitude and a willingness to learn. And if you have those two uh, characteristics, then the sky's the limit. I mean, you can you can accomplish anything within the within the space industry and space community. Yeah, absolutely. And kind of going back to your your college experience, were there any any particular classes or any particular um, you know subjects that you studied that you think were super beneficial as you got started in the field? Yeah, absolutely. So my uh, part of my college curriculum um, with the wireless. Um, degree was going through a lot of the same courses as electrical engineers. So learning how to build those hand radio sets or learning how to build different circuit boards for various applications um, was kind of the, the start of, of everything for me. You know, I, I got to start building things in school, um, learning on the fly, understanding how um, physics works and and going from there and just you know always coming in with a a you know a good attitude and a willingness to learn and listen to other people because you're never going to be the smartest person in the room but um you know there's a lot of other people that you can learn from so just listening and learning from from everyone else that you end up um being surrounded with is one of the best ways forward yeah, definitely. I think that's great advice. And I mean, looking back to, to my college years, which were not too long ago at all, I think the same sort of principles applied, whether you're studying English or, or computer science or mathematics, whatever it is, I think, you know, a key to a key to being successful in your field is, as you mentioned, just having an open mind and, and uh, being, being comfortable with the fact that you may not be and, and should not be the smartest person in the room, because the minute that um, you, you sort of find yourself being too comfortable, your, 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 maybe your drive or your, your, um, your motivation starts to, to become stagnant. And, and for something as exciting as this, this uh, satellite industry or space industry, I think that's the one thing that um, you know, should be the exact uh, deterrent you know, we should be looking for people who are who are super excited and and being and are, and are being comfortable with the fact that there are so many unknowns um, as we move forward with it. Yeah, I think you put that well. Um, so take on the challenge, figure out how we're going to go colonize the moon and then colonize Mars. Uh, <laughs> join join the community yeah yeah awesome do you have anything else to add harsh no no that was great yeah well th thank you so much brian for coming on the show and i think we had a great discussion about about the industry and and where it's headed so um really appreciate it and, and thank you guys for listening um as always keeping keep giving us feedback on what you liked what you didn't like um we'll be back soon with another episode and in the meantime we'll see you next week <laughs> <laughs>